0: Good morning, church. Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. thank you i um I want to want to point out just a couple things that just there are a lot of people who've worked hard and served and been very generous. All the stuff that we have right now, all the electronics that we're able to do all this is um, just very generous and kind people have donated and kind of again at the at the very last second and um, different people here today just helping and, and and with that, as we begin our time together um, we, I want to ask a question for us to consider. What does love look like in this season? And just in general, what does love look like? And um, to help us think through that, I want to encourage you to think of a time when you had a fear or a concern, and how did people interact with you? What was helpful, what was unhelpful? What, what, what comes to mind for me is when I was a child, I was actually a pretty scared kid, and I, um, I had a number of fears, some very legitimate and really made lots of sense, like our home getting bro- broken into that actually happened quite a few times as a kid, and so my fears that our house would get broken into um, is, is something that I, I you know, held on to. I was also afraid of sharks and killer bees, And the Tooth Fairy. Um, I was afraid of the Tooth Fairy because I heard, I don't know if this was meant to be encouraging or comforting, but that the Tooth Fairy gathered teeth and built a castle with them. And I'm from an English family. You know, English aren't really known for their nice teeth, so maybe that was part of it. But the idea of a castle made out of teeth was terrifying. But my mom loved incredibly well the seemingly illegitimate, illegitimate, and the very real fears that I had, she engaged me. She entered in and she processed with me. And I remember she would walk through some of them. She would affirm and would say, yeah, that is a legitimate fear. What do we do with that? that that's a that's a legitimate concern. Others she would dismiss, but um, in love. And by engaging me and walking through me with those things. And so as we consider... That question of what it looks like to to love in this season. Again, think through something along those lines. And places in scripture like Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus gives what is known as the greatest commandment. He says it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself or again, as I said earlier at the Welcome, John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying for us, for the church, the ecclesia, the, the, the people of God, who, yes, on Sunday mornings we typically gather together and celebrate and worship alongside one another, and yet throughout all of life, right, we live all of life all for Jesus. We, and, and so what does it look like to, to love and the Lord really led me to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you heard the scripture reading this morning, perhaps you thought that's kind of an obscure place to be, right, talking about meat sacrificed to idols. But I think that the Lord really wants to lead us, at least us as Redemption Tucson, to walk through this question. What does love look like? and And what we see kind of the big idea is that love is not puffed up, but love edifies, love builds up. And it does this by recognizing fears, by by having our consciences shaped, and then ultimately love leads to action. And that's what we're going to see as we walk through this passage. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is not a passage about, you know, specifically about what we do with epidemics or pandemics or things like that. But it it does talk about a people that are fearful or concerned and and how they're to relate with one another. And so with that, let me pray as we, um, I I believe we'll be shaped by God's word in our time together by the work of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do pray again that you would lead us. As your people, Lord, that you will speak to us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I, I pray that the, that the Holy Spirit is, is at work right now across again in, in our homes and our different in, in this place where we are right now, and that through your word communicated, that you would shape us, transform us transform us, Lord, that we would grow into Christ's likeness by the renewing of our minds. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. I'll just repeat and then we'll just read through some of this together. So I'm going to actually just go ahead and read the first six verses now. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. That's in quotes. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up or edifies. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So, so, so. Let me uh, just again pause here and set the stage. Um, this food, this meat or food sacrificed to idols in this particular cultural context is. In the, in the city of Corinth, in, in now, in in Greece, there were both Jewish and non-Jewish, or, or Gentile or Greek, as they were referred to, um, believers or followers of Jesus. And they were coming together. And as God does, the, the good news of Jesus, the gospel reconciles, right? Reconciles us to God, reconciles us to ourselves, reconciles us to one another and so this this concern is that some people who grew up in 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 homes or in the particular culture where food that we, that you didn 't just go to the shopping where right, I go to fries or Costco or whatever and get meat right and, and, and stuff it would you would go to a place and all and the vast majority of the meat um where it ended up in the market is it had been sacrificed to an animal this was a a a pantheistic. Community and culture; they believed in many gods, and so you know right? people would would sacrifice and commit acts of worship to a particular god, and they would um, they would kill that that animal, that animal sacrifice, and then that would be the meat that ended up on your kitchen table. And there was a fear and a concern over that, particularly by non-Jewish followers of Jesus. So that kind of sets the stage. And so now picking up in verse four. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. "...and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist." So again, this cultural context, this moment that they found themselves in were what were, was a, a genuine concern or fear of some that, wait, we're eating meat that's been offered to other gods. And then from other people who had the knowledge or the awareness, who grew up understanding from a Jewish context, um, no, there's one God. There are no other gods. So you silly Greeks, right, are, are kind of beside yourself for no reason. And yet what, right out of the gates in verse one, what is the, 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 the posture and the language that we see? Yeah, we all have this knowledge, right? We know there's one God, but one God. He says, but knowledge in this idea is knowledge that is, that is arrogant. That is, that is, I know, and you don't, and therefore I'm going to treat you differently or less than be, because he says that, puffs up. That's, that's arrogance. That will build you up and make you feel better about yourself. It says, "Um, but, but love builds up. Love edifies. Love considers what is for the other's good. What, what will lead this person further along toward the, the good news of Jesus in, in this moment and, and, and unto faith what will lead this person to a greater understanding of God? And then I, I do want to address in verse four, right? This language is used there of gods, right? He says, for we know that the idols have no r- real existence. There is no God but one. And then he goes on though and says, for although there, there may be so-called gods in heaven. And, and, and what I'll say is what, what's, being, what's happening here is he's affirming. That, no, there are demons. There are other gods, and that's why. And in, in, in he goes on and he explains there. No, there for although there there may be so-called gods in heaven, in the unseen, in the spiritual realm, and on earth, he's acknowledging there there are demons. That if you were offering a sacrifice to Zeus or Aphrodite or you know whomever it might be, some other false god, and that's why there's a lo- lowercase g. Um, those are, you know, idols, those are false gods, and that is happening, so that is a genuine concern, but then he goes into um, an encouraging, um, worshipful, evangelistic statement, right? Look at this, look at this beautiful um, picture in verse, in verse, in verse six, right? He, or no, I'm sorry, in verse five, he says, for although there may be so-called gods, and he walks through this, and then in, in verse six, he says, yet for us, There is one God, the Father, from whom are are all things and for whom we exist. And there's this this beautiful, again, worship-filled evangelistic truth that is anchoring, that is, hear me, non-anxious. That compared to what was given earlier, the author here, Paul, kind of naturally just goes into what is true. What is foundational, but he doesn't do it by dismissing or mocking others, right? He recognizes the legitimacy of other people's fears and their concerns, and he he walks through this. But but he also um, just again kind of exudes w- what is hopeful. And, and and let me just say for a moment because I, I said non-anxious because anxious often leads to. Um, I, I need to argue. I need to fight for. And and, and I genuinely believe often that com- certainly in my own heart that comes from a place of not fully believing it myself. Right. If somebody who supports a different sports team, right, since no sports are going on right now, I'll do my part to talk about sports. Um, Right? Someone supports some other sports team, and you get into a fight about it, whatever, why my team is the best. There's a level of disbelief, right? You're kind of trying to convince yourself, and you're arguing, you know. But, but in this pa- case, Paul is so sure. Again, let's just read this beautiful, like a doxology, this proclamation of truth. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. There's a steadying posture there that informs how we relate with one another. And then in this next part here, we see that love also shapes our conscience as we interact with one another. Okay, let's, let's look, pick up together here in verse 7. I'll read through verse 10. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak verse 10 for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols so what's what's going on here how does this connect Again, there's, a, there's an element here of recognizing fear and where they come from. In, in verse 7, he says, not everybody knows. In, in this context, especially, and I think in ours, people who aren't Christians, they don't know. Right? Going back up there to verse 1, he says, listen, you who know, do, do you have an arrogance about that? Does that puff you up? Does it make you feel b- b- better with your knowledge? Well, well, there are people who, who don't know. I just want to connect this to our own self, salvation, right? We, we often use this phrase, and I think now is an appropriate time, that we would say, except for the grace of God, right? But for the grace of God, that would be me. That, that, that our, especially our, our reformed position leads us to understanding that outside of God intervening, even our salvation the fact that we can read these words and it's not gibberish and crazy and archaic, that we believe this is alive and true and shaping and, and profitable for, for, for all of life, is because God has done a work that we didn't do ourselves, right? Ephesians chapter 2 says, says that, that even your faith is not something that you conjure up. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that is not our own. Right? We can't boast, we can't brag. And so there's, again, a posture of humility. Now, let me also recognize a word that probably, if, like me, jumps off the page for you about weak. Well, what about these weak people? What if? I'm one, what if I'm afraid or concerned? What if I have a fear? A- am I weak? When I was a young kid and my mom engaged me about our house getting broken into, was I, you know, weak? And what does that mean? Well, yes, the answer is yes. But weak is not a pejorative, condescending term that's used here. It's it's a recognition of reality, of experience, of we have different experiences, we're coming from different places. What does that what does that mean? What is that? what is that, what is that, what does that look like? And how do we love in light of that? Um again, just to draw it to our day right now. There are people who have more vulnerable immune systems. There are people. Again, especially who are not Christian, who have um, an understanding of the world that is different. There is a, a weakness, if you will, there that don't understand the hope of, of Christ. And, and there are fears that are, that are legitimate, that are good. There are fears that are not. But whatever they are, hear me, they're, they're real. Okay, what, what, uh, what comes to mind for me even is um, when um, I, I, I've been around a lot of alcoholism right? I, often I think this, this is one of my, I love this passage in scripture because it talks to so many things about what does wisdom, what does the gospel look like? And, and, and this would be one of those things that, that for me, um, is, is alcohol a sin and should you never drink or are these things? No, we're not going to go into that right now. Let's not, right? We, we have a lot more to talk about in this series we're in right now is right. Countercultural convictions and, and, and I'm not going to, but no alcohol is referred to in the Bible. Let's talk about all these things, but. For some, for me, I, there's a weakness regarding alcohol that I need to be wise. That needs to inform how I am around it. That way, or, or g- gambling might be that for some, or particular music, right? That maybe has different ly- lyrics or different things. And depending on 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 the home you grew up on, the things you've been exposed to, the t- tendencies, the results of sin. It, it just that is no one's fault necessarily. Certainly, in some cases, not our own but is reality. There's a level of weakness. And that's what this posture is talking about, is recognizing. Again, when he says here that there are some who, who through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. Again, going in this time, if you saw a cow slaughtered and people dancing around and and worshiping another god, and then all of a sudden, you, because of your 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 knowledge or your your power or your strength or your or your more mature faith, know well. There's there are no other gods. I can eat that meat. It doesn't really matter. Like, well, that would probably impact you differently if you grew up in a home that looked that way. And and, and I also want to say right now, as we hopefully kind of acknowledge weakness um if that's you if that's your friends if that's um there is a, a level of fear um that's okay all right i had to text a friend a couple days ago that i admittedly was kind of puffed up and kind of arrogant and when we talked about it a couple weeks ago was like ah, no big deal you know And then I had to circle back around and I, man, that was unloving. I was dismissive. I was arrogant. I didn't build up, but I actually tore down. And and so uh, um, at the same time, this message here, Paul doesn't shy away from the truth, right? Again, that I, I hope you, you circle and underline verse six. It informs everything else here. There is truth. Ultimately, God is in control. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus did promise to return. This is our father's world, right? It it is well with my soul. That's true and, and good. And love doesn't just sit there and agree with and say, oh yeah, whatever, that's right. Your truth is your truth or whatever. But it also doesn't dismiss, doesn't be down, isn't condescending this is a time where we know that Matthew chapter six or R- Romans chapter eight, which talk about being anxious or worrying in, in Romans chapter eight, verses 28 through 38. I, I commend you that in Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 35, like go to those, those passages. They are incredible mantras of hope. Of, of, of whatever happens to me, if sword or famine or, or any kind of persecution, what can man do to me? Or like there's this beautiful foundational trust and confidence in, in God. And yet this isn't take two of these verses and call me in the morning. Let me let me dismiss your fears and your concerns by just giving these no. Hopefully those passages anchor us and ground us and shape us throughout all of life so that when times like this come, we are grounded. And when we're not, we move toward one another in love. We move toward one another. In the very end of this chapter, in verse 13, Paul speaks of action. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat, lest I make my brother stumble. There's there's a, a, a conviction that ultimately, yes, love acknowledges fear. Love shapes our consciences wherever we're coming from, whatever our background, but ultimately love leads to action, right? Words, and we can all sit in a circle and talk and pontificate or get in different echo chambers where we all agree with one another. And in church, hopefully this shapes us, whether we're talking about politics, theology, um, whatever it might be, they, they ultimately love leads to action. That, that, that Paul talks about what he will do and won't do with regard to eating, depending on who he's with. That, that he's driven, he's compelled by love. And so I do want to give a couple applications for us as I, as I close. Um, what does that look like? I, I do think it's asking the Spirit to lead us, to guide us. Lord, guide my, my words. Guide my posture. Where is there arrogance? Where is there knowledge that puffs up? Where do I beat down? Where am I not, like James 119 says, where am I not slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger? But where is that the opposite? I'm quick to speak. I'm, I'm not quick to listen. I'm quick to, to quiet others. And then I'm quick to anger. I'm quick to frustration. What, what does it look like? What does it look like to love our neighbor by intentionally washing our hands, by, by, by part participating in the civic kind of um, r- r- recommendations, whether we fully agree or not. What does it look like to counterculturally move toward, to think about and, and, and move toward the v- v- vulnerable, those who are sick, those who maybe are, are kind of locked up in their homes to, to, to visit, to pray for, to, to call. To, what, does it, what does it look like? And first and foremost, always, it looks like Jesus. We look to Jesus. He he demonstrated his love. He acted. He showed us love. Didn't just sit back and talk about it from afar. No, he showed us. God demonstrates his love in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, in his place of safety and privilege and power and influence, he demonstrated love by becoming a servant by descending, incarnating, taking on flesh, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So now let me pray for us. As again, church, we consider what it looks like to live together as the people of God, full of love that edifies, that builds up, that shows that we belong to Christ through our love. So let's pray together and then we'll respond. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good, that you are on the throne, that you are in control. Lord, thank you that we know love, not because we first loved, but because you first loved us and you gave yourself for us. Lord, we pray that that we would know love because we understand your love toward us. And then that would drive us, compel us, lead us, or to lay down our rights as Christ laid down his rights for us. So would you please now continue to lead us through this time of response and further shape us by the renewing of our minds through the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.